0: Dennis, how are you doing today? Hey, you hear me? I got you. You're here, man. Um, Really appreciate this. I didn't... There's nobody I'd rather be talking to uh, about this uh, topic than you. And let me just kind of set it up this way. We're recording the day after the inauguration of Joe Biden as our new president. And one of the reasons that we waited to do this was because, as we both know and as everybody listens knows two weeks ago on the 6th of January was one of the more horrific acts ever seen on our soil. Frankly, um, since 20 years ago, 9-11, which you are obviously not only so familiar with, but it's one of the things that we're going to commemorate throughout this year because it changed, changed everything about the AML community and society in general. And I never would have guessed that now January 6th, may become a date that we put in parallel to 9/11 obviously for different reasons but for for one of the most key reasons attacks by our own citizens so let me just start with a, a broad question and you've been a, a champions the wrong word but you've been an advocate for the our community to better understand domestic terrorism when we try to figure out terrorist financing and reporting because you you've identified this as a major Concern. Give us your thoughts about both two weeks ago, and then we'll we'll start talking about what we can do going forward.
1: Well, John, I think you framed everything uh, really well, and and uh, I the the analogy between January sixth and and nine eleven couldn't be any more uh, got on point. And and I felt much the same way I did uh, on 9/11 on January 6th when I watched what, what unfolded at the Capitol, and and it was really distressing, and and it was really frightening to the degree that um, we've had this insurrection, but at the root of it, it is truly domestic terrorism, um, and and worse worse than I thought it was. Um, and, and, and the threat is, is certainly very real, as is obvious by the response with the military presence throughout Washington yesterday and in the run-up to yesterday, and, and will continue for a little bit. So I, I think we need to really take a step back and to assess um, the threats, and and I think what's coming into focus here, and you know, to your point again, John, this is really parallel to 9/11 in a lot of respects because after what happened on 9/11, and we realized how vulnerable we were, and we looked at the aftermath of 9-11 and especially the financial aspects of it um, and how superficial it was in the sense that it was easy to trace. Right. We're seeing the same thing happen here as the FBI investigation is unfolding and every day we see more and more reporting in the paper, we're seeing more nuggets of information about how money was raised and 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 you and I were talking before the call about the crowdfunding and and the different platforms where people were able to contribute money to these people but at the core center of this there's a core group of people who who really had planned this out they had every intention of of attacking the capital and and they certainly played on the overwhelming emotions of the crowd i think a lot of people who went and and were part of that uh, rampage regretted it after the fact i think they were the moment, the emotion, uh, the fact that they were easily led between um, what President Trump had, had stated to them and what they thought um, you know—that that's that still the mindset that, that the election was stolen. But the core group at the heart of that had every intention to do what they did and, and they were able to manipulate everybody to follow them and what we're seeing as the FBI is expanding their investigation is that there was a funding path there that helped people to be able to travel, and that's what we have to go back to now, and and really start to dissect. And I'm I'm very happy with the direction of the FBI's investigation and and the government's investigation. I think a lot of people are being charged. I think a lot more people are going to get identified and charged. And and another thing you know, kind of from from a backstory standpoint, is it's great to see so many people in in society stepping forward, identifying people who are in the Capitol and reporting them uh, to the FBI. So the FBI is getting incredible cooperation from the community.
0: Sure. And, you know, again, back to the parallels, I remember one of the things that 9-11 taught us was that it didn't cost a lot of money to commit those horrific acts. It's the 9-11 Commission and the work that you that you uh, spearheaded showed us. But it, we were able to, after the fact, get some uh, what I would call indicators or red flags that don't necessarily mean that terrorism is occurring, but abnormal enough that perhaps Um, it's something that a financial institution can flag. I I also should say separately that I know that there's some payment platforms that have made, uh, I think, very um, heroic decisions to cut off uh, transactional support. I've seen it with PayPal. We've seen it with uh, Stripe. Um, I saw a story recently, I think, that you shared with me that uh, Discover, uh, the credit card uh, entity, uh, they are no longer processing payments for the groups that uh, used what was called, at least in the in the press, a, a Christian website, where that yep. some of those funds were being diverted uh, to pay for buses and transportation, so sort of similar to nine eleven when you worked with the financial sector and and we were you know very quick to volunteer our information and time and try to make adjustments, we're seeing we're seeing that here too. So if there's any sort of silver lining to this black, black cloud is that uh, the private sector has stepped up. And to your point, uh, social media has made it even easier, obviously, to identify, sadly, friends and neighbors and people in our in our neighborhoods that were part of this. So all of that together gives me gives me some hope. Uh, But I have to think at the end of the day, the scariest part of it is these domestic terrorists look like you and me. And, you know, uh, while I don't disagree with you that some were there and just got caught up in it. I think we also know there were so many that had military garb right. and had weapons. I mean, that part is really hard to understand.
1: Yeah. And, you know, John, I, I just coincidentally, I was reading. Um, I, I subscribed to Stratford, which is a um, intelligence service, basically a public intelligence service. And, and the experts there are, all, are are former military and former uh, government and state department, and, and they put together a really nice uh, kind of a, a taxonomy on right-wing extremists, and, and it's more applicable to the problems in Europe. Unfortunately, Europe is going through what we're going through here right. for much the same reasons. But what they have, if, if you can envision a pyramid, basically, and divide the pyramid going up into four quadrants, and at the bottom quadrant, you've got sympathizers. Then in, in the next quadrant, the second, fourth, uh, activists. Then as you're going up, extremists and then terrorists. And I think that's what transpired. If, if you look at that, the January 6th um, attack, I, I think at the core, you've got that core group of sympathizers. And as you work your way up through extremists to terrorists, That's exactly what we had. So to your point, I think that most of those people that wound up in the Capitol were out and out extremists or that core group were terrorists. And and those others that kind of got strung along were somewhere between sympathizing and and activists and, and on the border, certainly of being an extremist. But in any event, to have so many people attack the capital like that, that says we have some serious problems in this country that we really have to take a hard look at. And, and we, we really need to isolate those extremists and, and terrorists, and and they need to be held accountable and looking forward, because what's also being exposed here is the greater identity of these groups within these movements you know we talked about the movements and and the proud boys is a group and and you know that's a chauvinistic fraternity so to speak but yeah. at the heart of it is most of those people are, are still they're they're right wing extremists and and they're white supremacists but the, the troubling thing that's coming out is the that boogaloo movement movement is these different groups within that movement like The Proud Boys, in a sense, can fall into that in a way. But the other groups that they identified, the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, um, that militia group, the Wolverine militia that were plotting against Governor Whitmer. And and so those are the things we need to be concerned about. And, And what I'm looking at is kind of the transformation of these groups from, you know, being decentralized groups to being more centralized. And, and it's clear that that at least these, these cells or individual groups that roll into these uh, mindsets uh, do have a leadership component to it. They do have a command and control structure. And, and that's what we have to get. And, and I'm hoping that's what the FBI now is starting to target and, and, and look for the leadership in those groups and then it takes steps to identify them and take them out. And this is where the public-private partnership is going to have to come in because it would be incumbent then for the FBI to be able to provide information to financial institutions about how these people are funding themselves more so than than what's coming out in the papers. And from a financial institution standpoint, one of the things I think our friends who were working this stuff, and I know a lot of our colleagues are taking a hard look at, okay, how do we... How do we roll um, the social media aspect of this in here? Um, but but you know to, to to that respect is is you know what can they do or what can law enforcement provide them um, in terms of of identifying or or to to come up with some some um, typologies and one of the ways to do that is to to follow these cases. And get the charging documents uh, when, when the, for instance, when the Justice Department, there was one of these cases I read the other day. Uh, the Justice Department has their um, their press release, or if the FBI, go to the FBI website, and the FBI has been really good about posting all of their arrests and and the uh, the press releases. But in some of those press releases, there's a link to the indictment, to the arrest warrant, to to the um, the criminal information that's being filed and to look for um, the statement of facts in the affidavit that the FBI agent or whatever the federal agent is who's making the arrest and signing the warrant. Um, look at the statement of facts in those, in those documents because it's going to lay out uh, in portion how some of that stuff is funded or some of the activities that they, they took part in that may give you the red flags you'd want to look for for that, you know, financial dimension to it.
0: You know, you know again, going back to the parallels to nine eleven, again, something you spearheaded was the private-public partnership response to that. And it, what you've just outlined, it's interesting, you know, you and I talked before we jumped on the, the interview here that Congress has just reintroduced in the House and Senate uh, what they're calling the Domestic Terrorism Prevention yeah. Act. Of 2021, which creates some offices and some reporting and some metrics, and that's all valuable. But the one thing at least that's missing right now is a private sector component. So it seems to me, based on what you just said, and something that you ran very successfully, if we could get the financial sector again, together, as we've done in the past, to, to come up with these Typologies based on, like you say, the charging documents and other information. Sort of the same way we did it with you with human trafficking. Uh, I know we get a lot of volunteers from institutions that would say, "Yeah, give us more data," because you know this seems to be a more difficult—not difficult, not difficult ask, but a difficult project given social media and privacy and all the issues that obviously are, are part of this. That perhaps didn't exist before but it's sort of similar to that and, and your recommendation in the past to create financial SWAT teams it sounds like um, it doesn't sound like I think I could I think in this case I could speak for our community the private sector we would be more than willing to step up and be part of projects that would identify domestic terrorism from the financial standpoint and get better at reporting activity on SARS or or, or, or state. Um, you know, uh, uh, state reporting requirements. It seems to me that this would be, while difficult to do, easy to organize.
1: Yeah, I, and and I, I I would hope that something like that would come about. And and I know that there's been some outreach and some information has sure. been disseminated from from law enforcement. Um, out to the financial institutions, but but they they really need to make a concerted effort in this regard, um, and 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 really establish those lines of communications. And 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 to your point before, the proposed legislation is a good first step, right. but but it, as as always, it seems to lag because it leaves out the most important component, being the financial community, and that 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 nexus with financial intelligence that the the, the banks and, and everybody in this space uh, has access to and, and has right at their fingertips that, 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 that database, so to speak with, with all of that financial intelligence with, which would be so valuable today. Do you realize if, if, you know, I'm looking for a lot of this information, how valuable the credit card information would be right now right. or um, the money's that were expended to travel to DC to help to, to, again, to help close out that loop and stuff, you know, h- how did these people travel here? Did they fly? Did they come by bus? Did they, you know, what, what were the arrangements there? And, you know, that, that type of information, those nuggets of information, the fragments that helped us in immensely after nine 11, because we were able to put together an incredible timeline and, I would think that that's what the bureau has got to be doing here is reassessing and reestablishing um, where the key nodes are um, with, with the, the, the organized players that they've identified within whatever type of command and control they had. Um, and, and from there to, to, to kind of work out to all of the points of contact, you know, with those known leaders, or, or people that were part of that core group.
0: Right. And, you know, um, you know, based, based on sort of how you go after this, like you say, if you get the heads of these organizations, that's certainly a model. And one way to do that, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but you'd have to show material support. So who's providing material support, which is a defined term in federal law, although we don't have it directly connected to domestic terrorism as of yet. But if you could have uh, a charge of material support, you could get both the leaders of the organization and the, f- the funding mechanisms. And whether people are using these sites uh, directly, or uh, perhaps the owners of the sites aren't aware, although I find that very hard to believe. And that, that way you go after the source of the funds, plus the funding mechanism, plus the ultimate users of the funds. It seems to me that from a financial standpoint only, is that's all I'm referencing, that that could go a long way toward uh, kneecapping some of these folks.
1: Oh, there's no question about that. That would. And that's, you know, that's what I'm hoping is going to come out of this, is that there'll be more legislative eff- efforts and, and consideration given to a material support statute of some sort that's that's specific to domestic acts like what we saw on January sixth, because if there was a if there was a material support um, statute that was applicable to this situation, when the first person got arrested um, for for providing any type of financial support or you know material support is even broader than financial support. Right. It's actually your your own service that that you were yourself were going to serve um, in furtherance of the act. Um that, that goes to material support. But the point would be, especially if you were just one of the people who were donating to the cause, you're not traveling there, but you know what? I, I have a hundred dollars. I can I I will I'll help pay for somebody. And if those people were culpable to being charged in any way, then that would be an incredible deterrent. The first time somebody got arrested for that, or a statute like that, or any statute that, that related to, you know, funding or support in any way that would have a serious chilling deterrent. And, and that would turn off uh, a lot of the, the the financial spigots where they're getting donations.
0: Well, I think we know our charge going forward is to uh, get the powers that be to, uh, to organize uh, some partnership events. And the good news is there's, uh, director Ray is going to is going to stay on as FBI director, and he certainly identified this as a major issue last year, despite getting political pushback. Um, but the the last thing I want to ask you it's more it's not an esoteric question, but it may, maybe it's more more philosophical. You spent your entire career in law enforcement, and since then helping and working with law enforcement. And I've been fortunate to 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 work with some of your peers and colleagues. I think the thing that's that's uh, frustrating and both sad, maybe even depressing, is the number of law enforcement or military types uh, that we've discovered have been part of these, uh, these attacks. Uh, and even though um, the majority of all of them are, are great, great Americans and all that, what, what do we need to do, you know, uh, to, to, not even dissuade. What do we need to do to to deal with that? Because that that's a scary proposition, seems to me, because you want to be able to trust law enforcement and trust your military. And we all do for the most part. But more and more, the examples that we saw from two weeks ago, you see that. And again, a small group, obviously not the majority of people, but coming from law enforcement, as you did, what's your, what's your take on this? What, what do we need to be doing as a society?
1: Well, I think, you know, going back to the the, the act um, that you just referenced, the congressional pending legislation, that's one of the things that was in there that I thought was a positive thing was to for for there to be better law enforcement training on on that particular topic. Yeah. about the threat from within, so to speak. And and going to go into your direct question, it's better due diligence um, in knowing your employees right. on the front end mm-hmm. and, and understanding in the background investigative aspect of, of hiring police officers or FBI agents or Homeland security agents is what are their affiliations to these types of groups? And that's where social media checks um, in the background investigation would be critically important. And John, you hit now a nerve because There are a lot of um, and and I know in Germany in particular, they have a significant problem with law enforcement, with a number of law enforcement officers who are neo-Nazi, who are white supremacist. And unfortunately, I, I think what's coming out to the point you made is how many people that went to those rallies were actually police officers around the country. Every day I'm reading about a police officer in this community or that community uh, being arrested for being part of the uh, for, for the, 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 the crowd that, that charged um, and rioted at, at the Capitol. So this is an area that's very sensitive to law enforcement. So one of the things the law enforcement has to do is look within right. and identify and extract those people, because you're right. I think the overwhelming majority of people in these jobs are, are people you know uh, of good faith and who who are definitely dedicated professionals, but for that subgroup that's out there, um, we need to weed them out. And you know, I don't know if you have followed it all. Uh, there have been interviews, you know, the national security interviews. Like here in the D.C. area, we have uh, WTOP um, news, right? Right. And and on WTOP, their national security um, uh, reporters. Have been interviewing um, Mike German, who's a former FBI agent, who is an attorney, and he was with the American Civil Liberties Union and everything. And and where, where he made his um, mark in the FBI was, he was a deep undercover agent, going back years. You know, when we go back and you look at the um, the genesis of the domestic crime of the domestic terrorism problem. Um, back in the 90s, domestic terrorist groups, like these groups that now we're seeing to reform, like the Proud Boys and groups like that, that was the domestic threat then. And people like Mike infiltrated um, in a deep undercover capacity and law enforcement successfully rooted out those groups and it made them go back into the, the grassroots and get away from group activity to individual activity. But what Mike is saying is that when he was working undercover, one of the concerns they had is they couldn't bring this to the attention of too many people on law enforcement because there are a lot of law enforcement people who were active in these groups. Wow. And that's the problem we still have today. So I think that's part of the, the challenge that law enforcement has to do. They have to look within and going back to that first step, part of it's going to be training, which this, this new legislation calls for, but it calls for enhanced due diligence on the part of police departments. In in addition to the problems we had, you know, with the policing issues, um, you've got that, 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 that small amount, that, that, that that minority amount basically of people who, who, have that mindset. And as I said, in Germany, this is a huge problem. And, and so I think it around the world, I think a lot of people are going to start looking at this and, and saying, how do we, you know, and I know from an FBI perspective, we had five year reinvestigations of all our agents. And, and so somewhere in there, if there are warning signs, you have to identify those and, and then you've got to eliminate those problems from within your ranks.
0: Yeah, you know, it's going to be a challenge. Um, I'm, I'm optimistic that we have a new competent administration that recognizes these things. We obviously need to listen to one another, but we also need to work with our law enforcement partners. And I think the one thing that comes out of all this, um, yeah, you know, I think partnership is the key, right? And, and we, you and yeah. I both subscribe to that as a, as a great strategy and goal and mission so I think if we can do that here perhaps we can we can make some adjustments so hopefully next time you and I talk it's it's about a, a, t- a different topic but I really appreciate you taking the time and all the work you've done in this space uh, sadly long before the, uh, January 6 so y- you you've seen this coming for quite a while we need as a community in AML just to get better at identifying things but we do need, some data in which to identify, so I think the more we get yep. case studies and typologies, the better prepared we will be
1: oh yeah i think I think so john and and again, you know you, you've been a champion in this and and bringing this up in these podcasts and and the other work that you do you know that's great because part of part of the solution is awareness and right. and you know in my training, I talk about situational awareness, and this is exactly that type of situational awareness. That that we need to focus on is to identify, you know, understand the problem, and then to identify the, the 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 problem, and and to take steps to, to you know, what can we do to diminish that problem. Right.
0: Well, Dennis, uh, appreciate the time today and the insight as always. Uh, stay safe, and we'll talk soon. <laughs>